0: Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Harrington as he shares this week's message. Thank you. What a wonderful song great one to open up our series this morning our message this morning I know many of you are just waiting for us to get back into Luke and we will do so next week but there was a message that just came to my heart of some things that have been asked about in our church and some questions and thoughts if we've been making some changes here and so I felt it would be best to address them this morning and from the pulpit as we talk about worshiping together. As you've seen, our theme from our call to worship uh, to, our prayer t- or to our music and things has been about worshiping. And the topic today as we're looking at it, is integrated versus segregated when it comes to worship, especially family worship. I want to open with this verse here, 90, Psalms 95 verses 67. You'll see it here on the monitor where it says, "Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Once again, O oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Then it gives us why we're to do this command. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand, you've you've heard me say before, and you can just keep it there if you would. Ben is is that many times I've given you the Bible will give you a command, and, and, and many times you know we think, well, what's the command? What's the principle behind it? We talk about the pre or God gives us a precept, a thou shalt or thou shalt not. It then gives us a principle of, of why we should do it, and that always points to the person. And so in this case, we even see it in these two verses. It gives us command to come, to worship, to bow down before our maker. Why? Because he is our maker. He is our God. And and that's the principle. He's our God. But how does it point to our God? Saying that we are the people of this pasture and the sheep of his hand. He is the shepherd of the flock. He is the one who feeds, who guards, who protects, and takes care of us. And so with that, this morning, This wonderful passage compels us to come to Yahweh with a heart of worship and humility. In doing so, we do not make him worthy. We, you and I, do not make him worthy, but we only declare that he is worthy. It is acknowledgement that he is our king and creator and only God. (coughs) Humility, we accept his rule over us as our kind, loving, and merciful shepherd. And our message this morning will consider the importance of worship in the lives of not only the Christian, but also of the church. And why we believe that having our children six years older and up in, in our services and joining us in our worship is the best way to honor God and to grow them in the faith as well as ourselves. So, Father, we just come before you humbly asking for you to open up our minds and hearts to a difficult topic Lord, as we consider your word, we consider scripture, we consider our own heart, may your spirit have free reign. And Lord, may you call all of us to worship and may all of us come to worship you, to obey that command, that we may see your goodness and your love and your mercy. In your name we pray, Amen. So let's begin by answering the question of what is worship. We've been talking about, come, let us worship. To many people, that means just the singing, okay? I've had people that used to come to church and they, they wouldn't get there until the pastor spoke. And I'd say, well, why aren't you here for the rest of the singing? Well, he goes, well, I'm not here for the worship. I'm here just for the preaching and teaching. As if when we come to here, we separate, well, there's teaching and there's preaching, but then there's also singing and the giving and things like that. Well, the most important thing is the preaching and teaching of God's word. Well, we would say, no, all of it is worship. All of it is coming before him. Pastor Mike Shearer of Grace Church of Orange down here. I love that pastor. I love that church. He writes in his book, The Family Gather." Look at here on the monitor. He says that worship is the proper response of mankind to God in every area of life. Worship is the proper response of mankind to God in every area of life through Jesus Christ, empowered by the Spirit based on who he is and what he does as revealed in his word. He goes on to say that worship is the soul's humble response in all of life to the love of God in Christ. Worship, if I may use a Star Trek term, is the prime directive of every human. God has called all of us to worship. No one is exempt from the call to submit to the Lord and declare his glory. Whether you are a Christian for 92 years, you are just a six-year-old, or whether you are someone who, who disobeys God, who hates God, or maybe you're an atheist who denies God, even they are called to come and worship God. Even the demons themselves and Satan are called to worship God. Scripture tells us that the heavens themselves declares the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. He goes on to say that even if all humanity was silent, the rocks themselves would cry out that God is God. Man is the highest of all creatures and all of creation are to join in that heavenly chorus Of course we know that our first parents failed miserably in doing so. They did not join creation and glorifying and worshipping God but went their own way, plunging all of humanity into sin. Yet God still promised redemption and reconciliation through that term the seed of a woman. In other words, he said there would be a child of promise, a child who will who will crush the serpent's head, one who would come who would be the snake crusher. However, in chapter 4 of Genesis, we read that their first sons, Cain and Abel, that Cain killed Abel, once again demonstrating that evil had penetrated the hearts. So as we come to Genesis 4 in the middle, Abel is dead, the one who God accepted the sacrifice. Cain is banished and ostracized as a murderer. At this point Adam and Eve might have even despaired of any redemption. However, as we continue through this chapter, we read in Genesis 4:25, you'll see it in here on the monitor, that Adam knew his wife once again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth, for she said, "God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him." To Seth also a son was born. And he called his name Enosh. And look at that underline. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. The reason for Eve's joy in birth of Seth is not only that God gives her another son, but that the promise of God, the snake crusher, the hope of a redeemer would continue. You have may, may have noticed that it wasn't around, if you were to do the math, it wasn't around 235 years after the sixth day of creation, after the fall, that people began to worship. They began to seek after God. It was only until the time at Minash that people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Pastor John MacArthur notes that as men realize their inherent sinfulness with no human means to appease God's righteous indignation and wrath, Over the multiplied iniquities, they finally turned to God for mercy and grace in hopes of a restored personal relationship. And so from that time on, as we continue to read through scripture, we read of Yahweh, God, calling out men to worship him. Men like Noah, Abraham, who was an idol worshiper at the time, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, the children of Israel, and so on and so forth. That call continues today. And will continue for all eternity. The apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, 9 of Jesus. It says that God has highly exalted him as we now know that Jesus comes as the redeemer, the snake crusher. And every uh, God God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So there will be a day when all will come and kneel before Christ, amen, and declare that he is Lord. Some will do it willingly as they have experienced his redemption. Others will say it through bitter teeth and resentment as they are forced to understand and recognize The Westminster Shorter Catechism captures this duty, our duty, as God's highest creatures to glorify him, to worship him, perfectly when it states here, look at this, that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Leave that up. I want you to look at it. I want you to memorize it again. Take a picture of it with your phone if you need to. Write it down somewhere. Is this? this is what you and I were created for, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What's your purpose in life? Typically, it's just to enjoy your life, to have your best life, to make every day like Friday, right? To get the most out of life to enjoy all of its rewards, to to wring out of life everything that you can. But as we see here, the chief end of man is to glorify, to worship God, to make much of him and to enjoy him, his goodness, his love, his mercy. Scripture informs us that we are to worship him through singing and through praying, through our giving, through our serving, through the reading of scripture and the preaching of the word. All things that we try to incorporate in each and every one of our gatherings. Now, there are three ways that you and I can worship to glorify God and enjoy him forever. There are three ways that you and I are going to look at that, how we're called to do that today, to worship the almighty creator. First is individually, and then in our family and then corporately as a church. So those are three things we're going to look at today. First, and this is very important, that we are called to worship God individually, to make much of Him, to enjoy Him, individually with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength, as Scripture tells us. The Apostle Paul calls us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which he says is your spiritual worship. To worship, again, is to focus on God's person, his character, his goodness, his mercy as our Father, our Savior, and our Helper, speaking of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's to focus on him, not on the things of the world. Hence why he says, seek those things in Colossians that are above. That's what God has called us to do, set our affections on things above. This worship is to never cease. Every moment of our life is to be spent worshiping our creator and all that we do and think. There are no vacation days. There are no respites from God. This is something that you and I are to continually do. Our ability to worship our creator is what separates us from the rest of creation. It's not indoor plumbing. It's the ability to worship Christ. Only man was given the privilege and the responsibility to gaze up into heaven and to know who God is, to know that God is. We are the only ones of creation who can accept and receive our food and then gaze up into heaven and give thanks to God for our shelter, for all that we have. So we are called to worship God individually, each and every one of us, 24-7. We are to pray without ceasing. We are to give thanks uh, without ceasing. These are the things that God has called us to do. So it's not just for the families. It's not just for parents. It's not just for marriage Cups. If you're single, you are called to worship God where you are in your life now. Secondly, we are to be engaged in worship in our families. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's look at verse 4. We are to be engaged in worship in our families. Whether you are leading a family, part of a family, worship is something that a family should do. Deuteronomy chapter six, the fifth book of the Bible, starting in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. You get there in Numbers or the numbers in Deuteronomy, chapter six. Look at verse four. This is the, Yahweh's instructions. He says, "Hear, O Israel: The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart." Speaking individually, speaking mainly here to fathers and the parents. He says in verse 7: You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Speak of God is in our ordinary day of life, whether we're working, playing, entertaining ourselves. Or just even an arrest. He goes on then in verse eight: "You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and you shall be frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates." In other words, not only do you worship, but you worship in such a way that it guides what you do, it guides what you see, and it's something that is is known and is and is um, uh, apparent to those that enter your home, that visit your home, that are in your neighborhood and community. This is a house that worships God. Parents are the primary agents in leading their children in worship and instruction in the Lord. Let me give that again. Parents, you are the primary responsible person. One day you will stand before God and give an account of how you led your family, your children in worship. Fathers, I cannot emphasize this enough. You must accept this God-given role. It must not be neglected, denied, or transferred to someone else. You need to make time for this. This is, ought to be a, a part of your daily routine. One day, let, mark, this, mark my words, one day you will stand before God and give an account of how you led your home doesn't matter all the other things you may attain. It could be physical proudness. It could be intellectually uh, stimulating. It could be more things for your family. You think you're blessing your family by giving them iPads and all the the things of the world. The greatest thing that you can give your children is a good marriage that leads them to Christ, that worships Christ. That's the only thing that will last forever. Unfortunately, we have too many individuals and too many parents that have sconded from this responsibility. I look back, and there's many times I've failed in this myself. We need to recognize that this is important, for he has called us to worship Him. So individually, we need to give him our all, present our bodies to worship him. Third, uh, secondly, as parents, we need to lead our children, our family in this type of worship. Husbands, you are to help lead your wife. You are to present her as Christ presents the church. It tells in Ephesians 5 that we're responsible for the sanctification of our wives and helping them to come and know and love God as well as ourselves. Now, thirdly, and this is where we're going to camp for the rest of the, night, the afternoon morning. I don't want to scare you. <laughs> thirdly, we worship at church. We worship at church. This is the very purpose of the local visible church. We, we know that when we become saved, we all become members of that invisible universal church all the believers of all times of all places where we come and we're part of the bride of Christ the body of Christ but yet the local church is a visible expression of that universal body and so with it we are called to come and join into that local visible church it's the very purpose of why you and I are here today is to worship I would like to again, uh, once again, to refer to the work of uh, Lehman and Hanson in their book, Rediscover Church. We went through this, I think, in our spring-summer session of adult core class. And again, if you've never been to one of our adult core classes, it's beginning uh, next Sunday. You will enjoy that 45-minute time. Uh, I want to encourage you to come to that. But they define the church as this, and I want to stay here for just a moment. Read it with, me, with me silently. It, it's a group of Christians Who assemble as an earthly embassy. So as we come here, I I mentioned that a little bit earlier. When we come here, there is no national borders here. Uh, There is no ethnicity here. There is no social economic borders here. We are all children of God. I I don't care where you're born, what your primary language is, how much you make a year. Uh, None of those things matter. You are a child of God. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone who attends a church is a Christian. Just like that, anything that you put in a garage is a car, okay? So with that, that's not a laugh. Okay, we'll just go on. Tony, you can take that part out if you need to. What we need to understand is that not everyone will be a Christian. and So there are going to be those who come and observe what you and I are doing as we worship, Okay? But it is a called-out embassy of Christ's church. It's a place of safety, of protection, of where we're coming under the banner of Christ. Just as if you were in some country, maybe a hostile country, and you went and you were visiting there, things got a little bit hot, maybe there's a revolution, maybe things are not going well, and you feel unsafe, you then go to the United States embassy, and you are under the banner and protection of the United States. So you are here today. And the citizen of the kingdom. He goes on to say that we are the earthly assembly of Christ's kingdom to do three things. To proclaim the good news and commands of Christ the king. That's what we're here to do. That's why the word of God is always going to be essential. It is not the opinions. Because I'll tell you what, I have been through the Bible and read it quite a bit. How many of you read through the whole Bible at least once? A couple times? Okay, you saw a movie about it one time, you said been hur Ten Commandments. And let me tell you, as you go through those pages, I don't care what translation you may find or read from, you will not find, get this, write this down, you will not find your opinion, nor mine. So that's many times I'll pray, let us, let, let us differentiate between God's truth and Rob's opinion, because as I'm preaching, and teaching my opinion, my biases, my prejudice do find its way in. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will then carve that out. And when I see that my opinion is coming through, I try to then notify you that this is my opinion, or this is my editorial note or something. way. Anyway, usually, if it's pretty wrong, you can guess it's mine. If you see that I lift my, my and I start waving my arms and moving, I'm speaking not from the spirit, but from Rob's own spirit. So that's where you've got to be careful. And that's usually when I get myself in trouble. So we meet together to proclaim the good news, because that's all that we have. I am nothing more than a herald. Okay? Not in first name, but one who just blows not my own horn, but the but the news of God. Hear ye, hear ye. The Lord is one. That's the call to worship, right? That's why I want to encourage you. When does church start? when the call of worship. Not when the pastor stands. Not when the music begins. But even before that. You may say, well, church starts at 10.40. Can you be here at 10.30, ready to go? Do some meeting, do some greeting. Begin praying, get ready for a moment of silence. A confession, repentance. Laying down your gift if need be and taking care of what you need to do before you come and worship. But all I have It's just to proclaim, I'm the mailman who just tells you what the king has to say. But then also, not only do we do that, but the second thing that we want to do is we want to affirm one another as citizens through the ordinances. That's the baptism and the Lord's Supper. It's it's how we come together and we say, I love you, I accept you. We are eating together, we are breaking bread together. Baptism is is bringing one another into the family of God and rejoicing with that as the angels rejoice as well and so we want to affirm one another then thirdly it's to display God's own holiness and love in other words we're caring for one another we're using our spiritual gifts we're not coming asking I wonder what I can get out of the message today the saddest thing I ever hear from someone is I came and I just don't get anything out of the message that's mainly because you came hungry. It's like going, going to Golden Corral with a full stomach after eating at black, uh, black Angus and saying, Well, I'm not hungry. There's all this food, and I'm not hungry. There's nothing good here. I didn't get fed. Some of you, your minds and your hearts are filled with so much of the world's garbage. You need a, excuse me, a spiritual edema. So that you can take in the things of God. I find myself in the same boat. And we need to recognize that. So we need to display not only God's holiness as we love and care for each other, but using our spiritual gifts. Are we coming to meet the needs of someone else? It's not just shaking hands, but it's really wondering, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? How can I serve you? And it may not even be in this time. It may be, man, I need some yard work done and I'm just so busy. So hey, can I come do that? Can I come and help you? What would it be like if in your neighborhood, instead of leaving a note that your neighbor's yard is, too, too, uh, is growing too weedy, if one day you just went over there and did it for him and left note say, I hope you don't mind. It's funny, though. There was a, there was a thing on Twitter I saw where one guy got his, the police called on him because he was watering his neighbor's grass and watering her plants while she was out of town. So don't get the police called on you but display God's only holiness love through a unified and diverse people in all the world, following the teaching and examples of the elders. So we worship as a church doing those three things. As I mentioned earlier, it is in our gathering that we worship through the singing, the praying, the giving, the serving, and the reading the scripture, and the reading and the preaching of God's word. And this is so important this is so important, and you need to get this. This is so important that God has called us as elders to bind your conscience to this command that's found in Hebrews chapter 10. And you say, what do you mean binding the conscience? Remember when Christ gave the keys of the kingdom to to peter and to the apostles he says these are things that you may bind and loose and we shared with this and rediscovered the job of the elders is to bind the conscience of, of of god's word so here's the binding give me an example husbands love your wives i need to bind that to every man's conscience and i need to hold you accountable and i need to not only encourage you but i need to rebuke when you do not In the same way, wives, submit to your husbands. We are to bind one another's conscience. This is how you not ought to live. This is how you are to live. And one day you will stand before God and give an account of whether you did that or not. But it's also to lose. To lose would say, listen, guys, gals, the Bible says that you can eat meat. It's okay. Don't be offended if someone likes to eat meat. It doesn't mean that you have to observe a Sabbath day. That's the loosening. These are not things of conscience. But the Bible tells me now, listen, I'm going to be a little bit more stronger emphasis here. Do not lose me. But hold on to this. The Bible has called us as elders to bind your conscience to the command of Hebrews 10. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I gave you a little bit more about that last week in Build an Ark. You can go to that, our website, our YouTube, Facebook, and you can watch that message. But listen. Sadly, we have relegated this command, this binding of our conscience to gather and worship to just another event on our calendar or something that we're to do on the Sunday. It's one that you and I many times take too lightly or very lightly. It doesn't take much for us to skip our gathering for Disney, the beach, the park, sports for our children, or some family event or just to relax because we had a family event, a picnic, a party on Saturday, so now I need to rest and relax before I go back to work on Monday. I know this may may come across as harsh, as a harsh rebuke, especially to those of you who are here. I'm preaching to many of you that are in the choir, so to speak. But what a tragedy it is that those that worship a false demonic gods are more dedicated to their gatherings than the very children of the one true living god those who 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 gather to to worship a false demonic god are more committed to us They are so committed that they will hijack planes and fly them into a building, strap on a suicide vest, and kill uh, as many as they can. They will be here this morning, this Sunday morning. You might pass them. Jehovah Witnesses here every morning passing out their flyers. But I can't go to Sunday because, man, man, I had a hard day. We had a late night last night. I'm sorry. And I know this doesn't usually come from me, but I need to bind your conscience. This gathering here of God's people, of this church, especially if you were a member, is not... What's the opposite of mandatory? Optional. It's mandatory. How many Sundays have you missed the gathering for little excuses? Will that excuse... Past muster the day you stand before God and he gives you account of your time. Now let me say, there are many of you that may be here every day, but yet you're still, your mind is not here. You're just coming out of duty. You're not coming to worship. You're not coming to get something from it. You're not praying about it. Preparation for Sunday begins Saturday night, by the way, especially if you have children. Your mind already be, ought to be praying and think, Lord, I, I, you know, we get to come to Sunday sur- tr- service. We have this great privilege and responsibility to be here. There are many that cannot meet in other countries. For two years almost, there were churches that were shut and closed. Not this one, but others that did. But we must gather. To whom needs to hear this word, this rebuke, may you hear it. Instead of responding with bitterness, with excuses and resentment, I pray that you respond with confession, repentance, and a renewed commitment to attend the gathering of God's children as he has called us, commanded us to do. God is merciful to those who come to him. Far too many proclaim of Christ, but have no fear of him. And let me share with you, fear God. Fear God. For all that you read, all that you watch, all the programming, all the things you think, all the things that you do will one day flash before your eyes as you give an account to him. Salvation will be yours. But you will lose so much more. So let us hear what he says, that we are called to worship as a community, as a gathering And for this morning, I want to dwell on this last point. Gathering on Sunday as a covenant people to worship God. This would be a good time to remind ourselves that we are committed to here at at OVBC to develop lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God. So whether you've been a Christian for years or you're a brand new Christian or not even a Christian, our goal is to develop you and to be a lifelong seeker of the kingdom of God. Not the things of the world, but the things of God. We do this as we obey the Great Commission to to go out to the world, to baptize, to to hear and listen to the things of Christ with the heart of the Great Commandment, which is to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and our neighbor as ourselves. And our vision here, here's where I want to get to the meat of the message. Our vision for our children is the same for our adults which is that they too may become lifelong uh, seekers of the kingdom of God and that they too will become the aroma of God, a fragrance of life to life to those around them. Take your Bible, if you would, please, and turn to Psalms chapter 78. Middle of your Bible, Psalms chapter 8. And what we read in this passage is that Scripture teaches us that children were part of the gathering of God's people in Israel. In Psalms chapter 78, in verse 1, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open up my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from old. Verse 3 of chapter 78. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. Are you getting it? Our fathers have told us. Look at verse 4. We will not hide them from our children, but tell to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation, verse six, might know them. The children uh, yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and yet not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. This is so important. And they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. So as we see is that children were to be brought into the gathering so that they may be taught. This gathering includes both worship and instruction. Other scriptures demonstrate that this was the normal flow of of worship in Israel. Look here on the screen. I think I might have them in Nehemiah it speaks after they built the wall after 70 years of being uh, um, uh, kicked out of Israel. And they came back and they built up the walls of Jerusalem, which had been torn down. And it says, after they do it, they offered a great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children were there and also rejoiced as they heard not only the warnings, but also the blessings of God restoring them. Second Chronicles, once again, meanwhile, all Judah, as they went and repented before the Lord for their generations of sin, it says, all of Judah stood before the Lord and with their little ones, their wives and their children. Now, hopefully, prayerfully, by this point, you've come to understand and accept The importance of gathering to worship God. It is a command. It is a call. It is why we were created. And by the way, it is what we will do for eternity. For many, this is not difficult. But it still can be difficult to understand and accept when we speak of keeping children six years and older up with us in our main service during the whole service. We used to have a Sunday school before COVID. We used to separate them for years. And this change may seem abrupt and arbitrary. Why are they doing it now? And I'd like to try and answer some of those questions as we put the background. We are called to worship individually, as families and as churches. It is our portion. It is not something we're to neglect, but we're to do. And also seeing that we are to do this together. I want to try and answer some of those questions and quell some doubts that may remain. So I'm going to give you three things, I believe, or at least two. First is the first obstacle. So here's the first obstacle, I think, that many parents or other people will have about keeping children with us in worship. The first obstacle is going to probably just be personal, right? You want your children to enjoy an experience of children's church that many had growing up, that you had growing up. And there's nothing wrong with that. I came to know Christ in 1972 in children's church. My teacher was Mrs. Erickson, and though I don't remember the lesson or story, I do remember her taking the time to lead me through the Gospels and lead me in prayer for salvation. I remember that clearly. My own uh, kids enjoyed and learned through Sunday school uh, teachers and children, church leaders. Many of them had a great impact in, this li- in their life. To this day, I teach my grandchildren those old children's songs that never lose their charm. And how many of you still remember those old children's songs? I, I remember we sing them all the time. to be honest, those are the ones that I usually go to the most when I'm thinking about something or praying about something. So there's a personal need. There's a personal desire to have our kids to enjoy what we enjoy. We're concerned that they may not learn uh, as much from there. They might lose what's going on. Now, that's the personal. The second obstacle may be practical concerns. Children can be difficult to handle at times. As they get bored, they get squirmy, and they get frustrated. Now, those are just the men that are over 50. But uh, there's also children that have that as well. You have a hard time paying attention to the passage because you're spending most of your time and constantly on alert for your child's behavior. And you're worried that they're causing a distraction for others as well around you. And I can understand that. That concern, it can be difficult to preach and teach as I'm up here, as I see kids talking and squirming and messing, It's just as it's difficult as I see people get up and come down, knowing that, hey, it's part of life, but it can be difficult as well. So I understand those practical concerns, but of those, those are some very good examples, and there are actually some serious concerns, and I don't want to be guilty. We as elders do not want to be guilty of dismissing your concerns, whether it's personal or practical outright. But if I may, I would like to join uh, to, to, to point out to you some principle, a principle and a purpose that leads to this decision. It will not take away those obstacles, but it can help us deal with those obstacles. First, the principle of having the children with us is articulated, articulated very well by a group by Ted and Margie Tripp. and by the way, they're having a, a conference at Foothill Bible Church in October. I'm going to get more information. And I think the cost is very little. It's a Friday and Saturday. But I just want parents right now, I want you to truly consider going to this event. And if there's child care is an issue, please let me know. I'm going to look at the cost and see if there's something that the church can do to help you get to this. It's just up the 57. It's the home church of Landon and uh, Nicole as well as the Mulligans as well. And so Ted and Margie Tripp, they have a great book. But here's what they say about family worship as it prepares the heart for corporate worship. They write this, family worship is expanded in corporate worship. Get that? So family worship is just expanded in corporate worship. That gives weight and significance to your daily routine. It's not just your little family who does this daily ritual. There are others, old and young, who worship God as you do. Family worship, listen to this, is daily practice for corporate worship. As you're doing that each week, is each day or several times a week, maybe you're just doing it a couple days a week, you are preparing your children for corporate worship, for the corporate gathering of God's people. Learning. Let's sit down for just a moment. Let's, let's sing a song. Let's read a portion of scripture. Let's, let's just pray together. Those three things is what family worship pretty much is. It's daily practice for corporate worship. Thanksgiving and singing God's praises on the, Lord, on the Lord's Day is no ardu, is not arduous if, it's not, if, it is, if it is our joyful daily routine. The problem is, is that many times is there's no joy in the parents. And so if you're sitting in Sunday morning service squirming, distracting, not paying much attention, then probably your children are not finding any joy as well. But listen to what he says. But worship does come haltingly and awkward from unpracticed hearts and lips. Participation in family worship also prepares the heart and mouth for corporate prayer and testimony from the fa- from the father to the youngest children. I give you an example. Nolan, I know he could be loud, and I- I'm holding him. And now Nolan can't read. There's not much that Nolan can do here at the beginning of the service. But as we were singing, "Forever, or forever, forever, God is faithful. Forever, God is sure. His love endures forever." All I said is, when it comes to His, I sing, sing, sing. His love endures forever. Now I don't know if you heard him. I think he got a couple of the words right. But every time that chorus up, I said, "Ready for His love endures forever," and then he would sing that part, unpracticed lips, un, um, un and He doesn't even understand what I'm telling him to say. He doesn't know what the words mean. He he probably doesn't even understand the concept of God yet. But what am I doing? I'm trying to prepare his heart. And we need to do that, for that was what God has called us to do. The pattern of scriptures was family joining the whole congregation in worship. Sunday school and children's church did not come into being until the latter part of the 19th century. Sunday school was started in England by those who wanted to have a time to teach children who were working in factories at nine years of age. And they said, well, we'll teach them the Bible and teach them how to read and write through the Bible. And they met on Sundays because the factories were closed. This is not something that is commanded in Scripture. Children's worship, children's church, Sunday schools. The adult core class, by the way, is not. That's why I encourage you to come. I don't bind your conscience. Small groups is not in scripture. That's why we encourage you to come. I don't bind your conscience. The only binding of conscience, I would say at 1040, you need to be in God's church. Hence why I say when you're on vacation, what do I say? Go to church wherever you are. There's no vocation from God. But going back... It doesn't mean that having, though, children separated part of the service is sinful or wrong. Many churches do it. We have done it ourselves. But we must ask, is this the best practice of God's church, of the bride of Christ? Mike Shearer, going back to him in his book, he questions this. I believe it might be on the screen. Children's church is often a great time, and it is. I've enjoyed it growing up. My kids enjoyed it. They're led by godly people who love Jesus and the gospel, and they want the best for the kids many, many times. But when you think about what worship really is, coming before God, how can an organized church program that takes children out of worship with the whole church separating them be more effective than parents organically modeling worship and the body together modeling worship by including children. Scott and Oil in his book, Let the Little Children Come, writes that children need regular biblical teaching just like adults. He goes on to state that worshiping God includes knowing, loving, and obeying God. And so we did do that in our children. We changed our children's program because we wanted, but, but we say, well, let's teach them in their age appropriateness. And there's nothing wrong with that. However, we believe that children can get much more from our main service than they can if we were to separate them. He continues to mark Scott and oil, oil in his book. He writes that the best way to practice the skills necessary for an, any activity, including righteous living, is through the Imitation of others who have already mastered the skills. Observation of others performing the skills followed by delivered imitation of those skills leads to mastery. Now you can take that in any job, in any employment time, in any vocation, in any type of thing or craft. Watching, learning, then doing, being observed and being evaluated. This is how we learn. Modeling is part of the command and pattern of teaching in Scripture. The importance of imitation is found in Scripture where Paul writes, I urge you, be imitators of me. Again, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. See what I do. Do what I do. Philippians, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Many of you have been impacted, not only by the word of God and the work of the spirit in your life, but by just observing someone. You say, boy, I like how they handle themselves. Boy, I I like how their marriage looks and how he responds to her and she responds to them in marriage. Boy, look at how they handle their children. They're not yelling and screaming and hitting and punching, but they're just getting eye to eye level with them. Many of us have been impacted By either men or other men and women who have modeled people that we want to imitate. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So one of the things that we want to do here is to model what it means to worship. Now, I work hard at trying to make my language down and put the cookies on the lowest shelf if I can and, and try to, 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 to move my message to where I'm addressing uh, not only just married and the old our seniors, but also those that are single, those that are children, so on and so forth. We try to do that in such a way, but your job is to take what I share with you and then you're to take it, and there's your, there's your goal for family worship. What did, you, what did you learn in Sunday school? What was your favorite song? this past Sunday. Why don't we sing it together? We have one couple in our church that asked for the songs in advance so they can we practice it with their children. So when they come in faith, on Sunday, they we already encourage know the to share this with others. Or if, if you, you have, have any questions or comments, please visit us online little or little email us song at info in at Till next That's time, may God bless you in everything see, you do. much more is caught than taught. You see, but the kids won't understand or they'll forget. Well, how many of you remember all the messages. To be honest, if I wasn't looking at my script, I don't even know what I preached last week or the words I might have said. To be honest, if I would have lost my notes last night and came in this morning without my notes, I don't know if I could have preached this message. Why? Because our minds just don't always work that way. It's the cumulative col- effect. I don't, I don't think I said that right, but you get the word. It's that time being week to week. It's more about modeling. It's more about imitating. It's more about practicing. Now get this, at this point, the question that we must ask ourselves is if our personal preferences about our children in church are based on conviction or convenience. Is it based on conviction or convenience? And mostly it's going to be based on convenience. Convenience. There might be some conviction, but unfortunately, too many times we want just convenience. We're we're getting close here. Now, let me give you the purpose of why we want to do it. The purpose of including children in our main gathering is found in First Titus chapter. I'm going to ask you to turn very quickly there. I'm going to go through this very quickly. I know time got away from me. Titus chapter two. I just want to read this together. In this passage, the Apostle Paul has ordered Titus to Crete to help set the church in order. It seems that they were in disarray, struggling with false teachers. The Apostle warns them to watch out for these men whose minds and consciences are defiled. He goes on to declare that they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. That was their local church. And to combat this attitude from growing in the church, he tells Titus in Titus chapter 2, look at verse 1. He says, teach what accords with sound doctrine. That's healthy doctrine. He's not saying tell stories there. He's not saying there's one church today that the, 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 their speaker is a comedian, a Christian comedian. Or maybe they're preaching on movies. But he says, sound doctrine. He says, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and steadfastness. They are to model these things. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They also are to model this. They are, they, not speaking of Titus or the elders, he says, they, the older and the younger, are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. So as we come in together, we are teaching and encouraging one another. We do that together. I'll never forget the time that Landon Lee left. This is a good time to do it. Little Lando, he was having a little bit of trouble that first year that we were meeting together. And I remember one of the men in the church that he really just adores is Big Landon. We call him Big Landon, Landon Johnson. And so I don't know if it was Brandon that asked or if Landon that had asked us, I said, well, hey, can Lando just sit with me? And all of a sudden they, that happened and all of a sudden we're singing and I, I, where's Lando? And all of a sudden I look and he's sitting there with Landon sitting up straight, and he had the biggest smile on his face. Because Landon and Brandon have come together to join together to teach him and to be a man to him. For his birthday, he didn't get a toy from Landon. He didn't get some silly little thing. Landon, understanding uh, not only Brandon, but also understanding little Lando, got him the things that Lando really wanted. A headlamp, a thing to start a fire with. You know, the camp and stuff that he loves. An axe. He gave him an axe of all things. Has anyone seen poor little Nolan? We better check on him. But why? Because he came to know him. And he chose that Sunday to imitate. Many of you do the same things. Helping with the children, holding him. Don was doing that earlier. Many of you have done that. We see the children walking around. Why? Because they're children. We love them. We care for them. And we want to, we want to commit to loving all of our children. We we believe that the best way to accomplish our chief end is as a family, as a covenant group of people committed to following Christ. You may recall, let's show this real quickly, and I'm going to jump here from Steve Lawson. Life is short. Death is sure. Judgment is coming. Eternity is looming. Heaven is waiting. And hell is heating. It's more important than ever that we commit as the bride of Christ to gather and worship our creator, including our children. Studies have shown that children that are continually segregated in age-appropriated groups in church, whether it's elementary junior and high school and then you got to have a program for the college age and then the college people aren't ready for big church yet so we have to have a young adults group so on and so forth they're just extending their adolescence so further the studies have shown that the more groups they have the less likely your child is to continue to go to church when they finally get old enough to go to big church let me tell you we've had people here we've had children's programs We've had children teachers who worked for years in our children's program. But when their kids grew up to be junior high, said, oh, we're leaving because you don't have a junior high program. We will lose people because we do not have a children's program that we want our children in here. We lose people either way. That's just part of life. But let me share with this, and I'm going to close. One thing I've learned is that people easily leave programs, but they do not easily leave families. And that's what we are. That's a value to us. So let us worship together as a family to the glory of God and for our own good. Let me close with this verse. It's here on the monitor. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And God's people said? Amen. Let's teach that. Let's model that to our children, knowing that our time with them is short for the glory of God. Let me close with this. There are two books I want to recommend to you. One is The Family Together. Mike Sherris, some of you got this when we had our parenting conference several years ago. The Family Together. And then uh, uh, Let the Little Children Come, uh, that kind of tackles why we have uh, integrated church in here. And both books, by the way, will not only give you the principles, many of which I've shared here with you to this morning, but also will come with, with uh, suggestions and ideas of how you can handle your children or help your children uh, behave and learn and grow in Christ as they come together. So both books I would recommend. And then Landon wanted me to also share with you. There's two articles. They're on the back table. Five reasons children belong in the church regular in the main service regularly, and four reasons your church should set with you on Sunday. These are some things that we as elders went over a year or so ago when we made this decision. Our plan is even if we were to get larger with more people, with more children, that our plan is to continue with this, because we believe that this is God's design. For the local church. I pray that you would come to that conclusion as well and I, I, I trust that you would trust God's providential plan in that as well as we glorify God. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.